Yeah, get some of this. In this corner with Brian Campbell is back with the MMA edition. Yes, for real. Don't call it a comeback because we back, baby. I back. Trust me. I back. My voice may be washed, but it's a busy week in all of combat sports. It's also a holiday week, so happy 4th of July to you and, and yours out there. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us, but the model remains the same. We want you to want me on this combat sports carnival, so if you hear something today that you like, if you see something, say something. Do me a favor, head on over to Apple Podcast, subscribe, rate, review, shout us out on social media at the hashtag in this corner. Be sure to check out what else we're offering this week, boxing episode, recap. Capping Pacquiao Horn. We've also got this week in WWE ahead of great balls of fire on Sunday with a guest you will not want to miss, but enough of that. 2017 is very felt, much felt like, let's say, a new era in MMA, and it's a new era today for sure on the In This Corner podcast. Welcome to the Machida era. No, Joe Rogan, not that era. That's my favorite era in MMA. But a new era for for the Brian Campbell, for my guest today, Brett Okamoto. We went our separate ways just four months ago when I joined CBS Sports, but it's reunion time today as I'm pleased to set the stage for Saturday's UFC 213 card from Las Vegas with quite arguably the most talented and hardest working man in the business. He's my former podcast host over at ESPN. He's the voice of MMA for the Worldwide Leader and the man behind the Five Rounds podcast. He, he's even, to be really honest, I mean, he's got a great head of hair. They love his hair. Brett Okamoto, my man, how is it? Yeah, great, man. Thank you. I've, I've been missing these intros over at the uh, over at the Five Rounds podcast of ESPN, the one you and I used to do each other, which I, I got to say that I think the entire reason you split off to do your own podcast was so that you could have that Machida era soundbite just ready to go at a moment's notice. You could press it yourself, run that thing three or four times a podcast. Yeah. That's been like seven years in the making, right? Since that moment <laughs> happened for, for this moment today. I hope I, I hope I hit the timing right. But Brett, thanks so much for joining us, man. You know, I get fired up to, to reunite with you talking. I mean, we're coming off of a nice little reunion together ourselves two weeks ago in New York City for the Bellator pay per view. We may or may not have eaten the best burger ever made in Manhattan. Not only was grease the word that night, Brett, but that waitress look like she was contemplating eating your soul if not sell, selling your organs on the black market that's another story yeah. for another day but uh great to have you back on great to reminisce and rekindle my friend oh absolutely and food always tastes better when you're you're constantly worried that the uh, the emo waitress may stab you in the back at any moment yeah. so it, 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 that made the food taste better that night for me at least i don't know about you oh yeah oh yeah very very good i got bred off of that 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 health kick he's on i don't know what you're training for a for a triathlon with the diaz brothers but you stepped off of that long enough to take in that nice burger so i was proud of you on that regard it was a special evening it really was uh, very brief Bellator aside here before we talk all things 213. You know I pop for the carnival and circus charade that is Bellator. I mean, Brett, you and I back in the day once got fired up for, for that Gracie Shamrock, Houston debacle, Kimbo, rest in peace against Dada. I mean, this is the kind of stuff I live for. They cleaned up their act to a small degree to launch this second, second pay-per-view in company history. All things considered that night, do you see that as a success now that we're a couple weeks removed? I guess it's what you consider a success. You know, on one hand, I think that, that what they did is they put on a show that caught people's attention, you know, not just, not just, um, you know, viewers attention, but also I think people around the industry that said, you know, this felt like a, like a, a big night. It, it felt like, it felt like this was a, a, a big 
card, you know, that, that, that you don't necessarily have to be on one promotion to still get that big fight feel if you're an athlete. And I mean, as you know, with, with the way things are with free agency and whatnot, that's an important statement to make just to your industry in general is that, you know, we're here. We can put on a big show like this. We can command a place like the Madison Square Garden. We can pay for it. You know, we could actually have the financials to be in that building to begin with. So I think from that sense, it was, it was an evening in which the industry Bellator had its attention. You know, on the flip side, is it a win when you, when you look at, just how expensive it is to get Madison Square Garden. We still haven't heard any of the gate receipts. I've been asking anyone and everybody. You asked at the much, press conference. Well, Scott Coker well, said, oh, yeah, Brett, we'll get it to, We'll get it for you in a minute. Somebody, hey, Danny, somebody get it to Brett. That, that hasn't happened yet, you're saying? It hasn't happened, yeah, and I haven't stopped asking for it because I am curious. You know, I'm very curious that you have a big event like this and, you know, what were ticket sales and how much did they sell for and how many tickets were comped and, you know, were you able to cover some of your expenses or or was it – was it not a disaster, but was it you know, a struggle? Was it a challenge to be in a building like that and to sell to sell tickets? And we haven't seen the pay-per-view numbers yet either. You know? So if those are very disappointing, well, then that it has to look at um, like a loss in some respects. You know, but I think that this was this was a unique situation in which you know I think that as a, as a company, Bellator was trying to say that we can put on pay-per-views we can put on these big events we can command the attention of the industry and at the same time when all the financials and numbers line up you know we'll see i mean i always looked at this as a big gamble you know you and i have talked about it before it was always going to be a fairly risky show just based on how much they had to pay the athletes on there by stacking the deck so much as they did you know going into that new market where they don't really have a presence before asking people to buy pay-per-view when they're used to seeing it on free television these yes. are all things that add up to make this a very risky event so I do I that's why I want to know the numbers so bad is, is is how did this thing all shake out but you know as I mentioned I think that in terms of just um you know commanding a little bit of the spotlight for that weekend then then that has to be considered the way that, that's the thing if if it was essentially not a one off but an experiment then I guess I would take it a little bit more differently just to hear them say afterwards to hear Scott Coker to hear the representatives from Viacom's you know Spike TV essentially say this is just the beginning we're going to continually do this then you're not just the alternative to the UFC. You are now directly trying to compete with them. And then the question becomes, of course, does Bellator have the product to do that? Now, I think the, the key thing you mentioned was they essentially gave the same product in this pay-per-view that you're used to getting for free. And that felt like the problem. Now, overall, the card entertained the crap out of me. I'll straight up say that. It was wild. It was unpredictable. There was some really fun moments. Even like a Michael Chandler-Brent Primus fight, which, you know, kind of fell apart early with the injury and the and sort of the debacle in the ending. It still made me want to see both guys again, see them against each other again. So that tease of even Aaron Pico's story, seeing the prospect get get submitted in his first bout and, and it feel like the balloon got popped. I, of course, want to see what happened happens next those are good things to sort of set the stage for the future but Brett to close on this do they have enough pawns to give the marquee main events that you need to ultimately sell pay-per-view fights that isn't just a rehash of old UFC guys yeah no no they don't they don't have that at all but again like I like maybe this was a move in the hopes of you know having all of those guys who who, you know if, if you're a guy who fights for the UFC right now a guy or gal who has one fight left, two fights left on their deal. Maybe you don't resign. You know, maybe maybe you saw the way that Roy Nelson got his own walkout at Madison Square Garden. You know, he wasn't fighting. They were just saying, hey, this is Roy Nelson. We got him. We're excited about him. Maybe if you're if if you know you're one of those fighters who's who are with the UFC who only has one or two fights left, you're looking at that and saying, Well, that's not too bad. You know, maybe I won't resign an extension. Maybe I will fight out in the free agency. So I think that that this this event really truly I feel did did 
did, did do that on a, on a certain level. You know, I, I got to believe that there are athletes out there who saw this and said, you know, Bellator is not too bad of a place to be. But in terms of, you know, the card itself and it being entertaining, what's unfortunate about that is that entertaining or not, if, if unless people saw it and were willing to invest in it and are willing to invest in it again, I, the entertainment part is, is almost second nature to just how much buzz they can create. I mean, the, the pay-per-view business is really a buzz business. It's sure. not necessarily even about the product that you end up putting down at the end of the night, which is crazy to me. But that's that's sort of what we've seen generally in this sport historically is that it's not always about the finished product. It's about how much buzz you create beforehand. Yeah, it, that's very interesting. I wonder if, if they could just, uh, let's say, do something a little bit different, you know, adjust the price, be a, be a, be a constant $25 pay-per-view. Does that bring in extra? I mean, you're losing, you're losing half of the payment on the pay-per-view, Campbell. So maybe that's not the best idea, but something to be a little bit different. I mean, you do have guys like Roy McDonald. So you, that's what, essentially what you're saying. Can you draw more Roy McDonald's to take the chance and leave in their prime? But Brett, by the way, if we see Roy McDonald, Ben Askren on a Bellator pay-per-view, you know, this guy right here is popping for it. All right. Maybe that's that's just yeah. me, but you know, I'd be down with that. But well, unfortunately, man, I think the only way that they can truly get to, to be a, in the pay per view business is if they do it with the guys that they've created themselves. If if they've created this guy themselves, and and it can't be like someone unless they were to really grab someone crazy, you know, like a like a a, a former champion or even a champion, uh, you know, a former UFC champion who is still in the, is looked at to be in the absolute prime of their career. Then maybe, you know, but you, we've seen in the UFC where it's hard to, to, to sell pay-per-views, even with the roster that they have. So to ask Bellator to do it with guys that they're essentially pulling from UFC, I just don't see how that's going to work out long term. They have to create their own star. And you look like someone like you look at someone like a James Gallagher. That is potentially somebody with that if, if yes. they really get behind him and all the all the stars align because it's very difficult. But that is somebody that they've got under contract at a very early age that they can groom however they choose. And so that, I think, is really what's going to turn them into a pay-per-view business is if they can develop their own talent. There is this weird thing, though, and I and I, I am closing on this, this category, but there is this weird thing that was brought up before this fight. Like, no one was really too excited about Bader, Ryan Bader, Phil Davis, too, for the Bellator light heavyweight title. But they were definitely more excited about it than if it had been the opening pay-per-view bout on UFC 212 or, or whatever, right? There's still that thing, like Roy Nelson against another washed heavyweight, a Czech Congo, a Matt Mitrione, wouldn't really get you fired up on a Sunday night fight night card from Seoul, South Korea. But, Brett, I'm, honestly, it does get me cut, fired up if it's the co-main on Bellator. I don't really have an explanation for why, though, but that is true. There's something about being in sort of the circus tent that that it makes me care more. Can that last? Can that feeling last? Is that do you do you identify maybe, with that? Maybe maybe it's just because you you as a viewer are able to recognize that that Bellator cares more about this fight. You know, like 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 maybe maybe you catch a sense that the UFC doesn't really care about this fight. So why do I care about this fight? You know, maybe that's just like some weird thing that we don't really necessarily talk about. But as a viewer, it's like, it's like, you know, this is just like some, some third fight on some international card that's on Fight Pass. Like, this is not really for me. Like, there's, like, no one's really, no one's really invested in this. So why should I be invested in it? You know what I mean? But, but like with Bellator, they're like, oh man, we just got this guy. We were able to pull him over from the UFC. I mean, we, we hope he does well. You know, we hope he delivers what, what we brought him over to deliver and all of this stuff. And so maybe just, by osmosis, as a viewer, you're more interested. I don't know, because you're right. It's a, it's an interesting point that it's the same fight, really, but it's it's just with a different banner over the top of it. And yet, sometimes people are more excited about it. I, I don't know. Yeah, it gets people excited. There's a beautiful aroma that 
arouses me. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, Connor. But, uh, Brett, I got you here in the hot seat. I like to talk to you about the important things. So before we talk specific 213, I want to talk about 2017 and the UFC as a whole. We're coming off that record-breaking 2016, you know, the massive sale of the company to WMEIMG for $4 billion, right? We talk about that ad nauseum. Obviously, the first half of 2017 hasn't been great. It's not just been an expected hangover in terms of the pay-per-view numbers being down. It's kind of sucked. Sucked is the hard word. You might tell me that sucked is the wrong word here, Brett, okay? I can say sucked on this podcast. That might be too harsh. But we know with with their top stars, you know, on the bench, you know, the John Joneses, GSP, Ronda Rousey, Conor McGregor, all the way down the board, you didn't have the one buzzworthy pay-per-view card after another with all the storylines connecting. So that's not a big revelation. But what you did have every week were negative UFC headlines. They were one fighter after another being upset about their current lot. Every headline seemed to be negative. With what's going on, knowing that the TV deal is up at the end of the year, knowing that presumably UFC's new owners have a lot of debt to pay off in the short term, how damaging slash bad were the first six months of 2017 in your eyes as an invested, connected observer of this thing? Well, I think, I think that the, the real part that hurt if you're, if you're over there at WME IMG is that there were no big fights. You know, at the end of the day, when you've got fighters who are complaining and making headlines, you, you and I both pay attention closely to that, Brian, and we're having conversations with people about that and with the fighters themselves about that. But by and large, if you're WME IMG, it hasn't reached a point where it's gotten so out of hand that I, I think that you're, you're really, really worried about it on a day to day basis. You know, a lot of this, a lot of these, these stories, you know, we talk about like being just too close to the sport and being so close to mixed martial arts that we feel like it's, it's, it's really reached this, this fever pitch of all these fighters complaining. And in some ways it has. And I'm, I'm having those conversations all the time on my podcast, you know, on a podcast like this. But, you know, with those casual fan base and just the people who are paying attention to the NFL and, and NBA, uh, draft and all of that stuff, they're not really super invested in watching that story, you know? So I think if you're WME just from a public perception part of it, you're not, completely freaked out about that yet i mean obviously it's not something that you want going on and, and hopefully they're having some conversations about ways to to improve the relationship with their own talent but from a money standpoint you know you're not super worried about people tuning out to your product because of this i think for the most part what they're concerned about is that hey what happened to all the big fights in the first half of 2017 i mean there have been none they've been duds you know and even ufc 211 which again, this, this, this speaks to the point of being too close to the sport. A lot of people around the sport said, this is a fantastic card, UFC 211 down in, uh, in, in, in Texas. This is going to be a terrific event. And then I don't think, you know, the real buying public picked it up as much as, as the UFC and maybe some others thought that it would. So I think they're, they're, they're eagerly looking forward to UFC 214. I mean, you've seen how they've stacked that deck. You've got Cyborg's fight on there. You've got obviously John Jones's comeback on there. Now you've got Tyra Woodley's. Uh, title fight on there. Now Donald Cerrone and Robbie Lawler are on that card. I think obviously it's, it's, it's not, it's not difficult to see sometimes when the UFC pinpoints a pay-per-view and says, this is one we got to blow out. And they have obviously done so there. So they're putting a lot of eggs in that basket. They're going to be expecting a big number off of that pay-per-view. And then you, you, you just hope, you know, that, okay, so Connor's fighting Floyd. They are making some money off of that. And then hopefully Connor fights again before the end of the year. You know, hopefully John Jones fights again before the end of the year. Um, and then now you're, now you're back to sort of, uh, on, on a positive ground if you're WME IMG, because yeah, for the first six months of this year, 
you have not had much to celebrate. No, no doubt about it. And you mentioned 211, which is interesting. That's like a, that was a sum of its parts type of card where it had a lot of really interesting fights for the MMA fan, but like you mentioned, not for the crossover casual fan. And obviously stars sell in the boxing or UFC pay-per-view, MMA pay-per-view business. It's to get those casuals, you need a fight involving superstars. You really need one fight most of the time to really pull them in. So they're loading up 214 as, as sort of along with this Saturday's 213, the kickoff to the second half of the year, you know, a lot more, you would assume, star-studded cards after another. But are they overloading them? Because, like, didn't we learn last year with either, with both UFC 200 in July, UFC 205 in November in New York City, that when you overload, when you put almost too many good fights on, doesn't that – there's already a ceiling for the amount of pay-per-views that you can sell, right? Doesn't that sort of hurt you over the six months that would follow when you're not deep enough to fill out these in-between cards? I mean, maybe I'm maybe. just a curmudgeon, Brett. You can tell me straight up, all right, dude? No, maybe a little bit. I mean, that, that was a real thing that after UFC 205 last, last year in November, that a lot of the cards felt watered down for months after that. And it took a second to sort of reload them. But I, I mean, I will say that, like, look at the fights that are on there. What are these, these fights aren't, you know, big sellers on their own. I mean, Tyron Woodley facing Damian Maya, that's not really a strong card that can, that can headline a pay-per-view anyway. And now that they've removed a pay-per-view fight in, uh, in August, so now you've got Floyd Connor, which is, you know, essentially, I know it's not a UFC pay-per-view, but it almost might as well be, you know, so you have that on August 26th, you eliminated the UFC card altogether and that was supposed to happen on August 19th. So, I mean, you'd be putting off a lot of these fights actually. And I, you know, Tyron Woodley is hoping he's going to get George St. Pierre after, after this, you know, if he beats Damian Maya, UFC obviously is looking at, at, at George facing the welterweight champion. So you can't put that fight off until September. You know, when you're looking to, to get George to turn around before the end of the year. Now, who knows if George is going to agree to that? You know, he still wants to fight Michael Bisping. So that's that's a conversation to be had later. But I think, you know, you wanted to get that division moving a little bit with Cyborg. You know, she's she now lives and trains in Southern California. That was the date that she was always, always going to be fighting on. So, yeah, I mean, I can see the comparison being made to a UFC 205 situation, but I don't think this is a bad thing that they're that they're loading up this card. Yeah, yeah, and you make the good point with with the August connection of of taking all the big fights off the board to allow Conor Floyd to happen. And both of us have bloviated ad nauseum and will continue for the next fifty something days on the topic of Conor Floyd. But quick aside in there, I I felt like. The only loser from the situation, the argument you can make in that fight being signed is the boxing pay-per-view business. I haven't gone as deep on the MMA side. Is there a, is there any positive? Like I've maintained that the worst thing that can happen to MMA is that Connor wins this fight in some freak occurrence and that he stays down the boxing path. Is there any, what positives do you see for UFC and MMA in general with this fight going off? Uh, positives for MMA? I mean, there's not really. There's not really many of them. I mean, I, there's the obvious one that the UFC is profiting in, uh, directly from this fight, you know, because of the deal that they worked out with McGregor since he's under contract with them and he, they've loaned him out basically. But other than that, I mean, you can talk about just the, um, you know, the fact that mixed martial arts gets talked about in general over the course of the summer because of this mega fight's happening. So we're, you know, boxing and MMA are just in the headlines more than they normally would be. But as far as, you know, people who watch this fight and then say, oh, man, I'm going to go buy a bunch of MMA fights now and I'm going to become <laughs> like a regular pay-per-view subscriber to the UFC. Like, I don't see that really happening either. So I think what you can say is is that it's it's never bad to be talked about all summer. So that's a positive. But, I mean, I don't think that there's I don't think there's anybody 
you know, at UFC headquarters or even otherwise who are really taking a starry eyed look on this, like, oh, we're about to gain so many new, new, new fans that are going to be buying fight pass and feeding us their money. No, I don't think so. You know, I think it's just a, a nice, nice way to have MMA like on the, on the consciousness of, of the mainstream public for a while. Yeah. 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 No doubt about it. This Saturday though is a, is a real MMA card that people should care about. And that's UFC 213 in Las Vegas. Brett, this was supposed to be a, a typical superstar, Super Bowl, if you will, type of summer showcase card. We know the reasons why maybe it's not living up to that. Gar, Garbrandt, Dillashaw, that, that fight falls apart. That was originally the co-main and probably would have been the main at this point, how things played out with GSP unable to come back early. Any early plans the UFC might have had seem to have fallen apart. Now you lose another strong undercard fight, which you mentioned in Donald Cerrone, Robbie Law, that gets bumped up to 214. So the way you look at this card now is, it, I don't think this feels like an acceptable international fight week card of how we've been trained. Do you agree or disagree with that? Yeah, of course I agree. I mean, there's, there's no way that you can say otherwise. I mean, I, I really like Amanda Nunes versus Valentina Shevchenko. I'm, I'm really intrigued about how that rematch will look. But uh, if I, I mean, I'm just being honest. If I'm a casual fan out there, I'm not. I'm probably not buying this pay per view. I'm waiting to UFC 214. You know, because 214 is obviously incredible, and, and this one. You know, I mean, Nunez, for as as um, as phenomenal as she's been and the way she's taken out big names and Misha Tate and Ronda Rousey, I don't think she still has, you know, really great selling power. Um, I, I think the, the loss of the Dillashaw-Garbrandt fight is so huge because that was really the one that everyone was sort of kind of looking forward to, I think. It was, it was the one that was being built up the most with them being the coaches on the reality show. And now that's just gone. It's just it completely disappeared. So, I, you know, Verdum and Overeem is a nice fight, I guess, but it's the third time it's happening. And I don't think people are super aware that it's, that it's going on. I'll be honest, the fight I'm probably most interested and excited about over the entire weekend is not even on UFC 213. Yes. It's on the tough finale. Michael Johnson versus Justin Gaethje. That's probably the fight I'm most looking forward to, just the single fight I'm looking forward to. I mean, this is kind of, is it, it is what it is. The UFC had plans. The plans fell through. And... Now it's it's like well we got we got to put on an event here's the event but really two fourteen is going to be what everybody's talking about yeah and very astute take uh, on Johnson Gagey being being the sleeper fight of the weekend in terms of uh, being most excited to the action being most excited about sort of what comes out of that if Gagey can can win that fight and he said from the beginning when he signed with them coming over from World Series of Fighting that he wanted to fight you know the baddest man in the UFC lightweight division I like. The boldness, I've always loved the boldness in Gagey. I love that now he's calling out Connor for being a quitter. I mean, he's already sort of starting to try to plant the seed in what is this new UFC, which is sell yourself, and you can you can a lot of times leap up the ladder quicker. Uh, does Gagey have the what you've seen, the in-cage to back up the outside-of-the-cage boldness? Does he have the in-cage ability to truly be a contender in this division and UFC? Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's what's so intriguing about this, and you know, he has that kind of uh, self promotion ability that, but it's not all it's not all fake. You know, we see a lot of guys who say these things and who like use Connor's Connor McGregor's name just in a way to get into the headlines. But you're kind of like, oh, okay, you know, like like this is just kind of lies, and this is kind of like this is kind of fake. You know, he's just basically using Connor's name, and that's it. But I think really everything Gagey says he believes he's one of those guys you know i mean he's almost kind of like that conor mcgregor mold where he'll talk sort of uh, you know big and and uh you know dreamy or whatever but then he, he backs things up you know he is he is just this this gritty guy who gets in and brawls with people and comes out on top every single time it's amazing that he's undefeated with the kind of fighting style that he has now will that undefeated record continue 
once he's fighting better guys. I have always pretty much thought that no, it won't, that he, he will take a loss at some point, but everybody takes a loss. You know, I still think even if he comes in and loses to Michael Johnson this weekend, he's still looked at as a top 10, top 15 guy. He's exciting. People are going to pay attention to him. I think his stock is only going to go up whether he wins or loses. I mean, even the loss, I think he'll be bigger after this weekend than what he is going in. And um, so, yeah, I think he's definitely a really fun piece to that that UFC's division now. But do I think that he's a future champion? I would have to, if I had to guess one way or the other, I would probably say no. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. The one thing I didn't like, and this was a small, small nitpick, when our when our good friend Arash Markazi was following following Johnson and Gagey out of the press conference in L.A. last week and sort of got this, you know, behind the, the, the curtain video of Johnson talking trash about Gagey, calling him basically inbred. It got not safe for work. It was pretty intense. I didn't see Gagey get in his face or equal the trash talking. I sort of, some sort of trying to take the calm... I don't need to get into this level approach. Like, come on, bro, right? Come on, bro. Sell yourself, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe maybe he didn't – was he aware the cameras were on? I'm, I'm sure point. he had to have been, right? I guess you know, what, what that makes me think of is he actually told me that he's never been in a street fight. And he said that he was in college. Some guy punched him in the face, and he just uh, yelled back some expletives and then walked away and uh, – expletives and walked away. And even when we were sitting there, he's like, I should have messed that guy up. Actually, looking back on that, I really should have messed that guy up. He's like, but I don't fight. I don't fight outside. Like, I'm not a guy who just gets into fights. You know, he's like, I've never, ever been in a schoolyard fight, a street fight, you know, any of that stuff. Like, he, he said he boxed two guys, basically, throughout the entire entirety of his life before he got in MMA. One of them was his girlfriend's boyfriend. Uh, no, I'm sorry. One of them was his sister's boyfriend who uh, had challenged him to a fight or something. So he's like, it was my sister's boyfriend. I had to do it. And then this other guy was just six years older than him and was at a party and really, really just wanted to fight somebody. He wanted to put on gloves and fight somebody. And finally, Gaethje was like, well, I'll do it if no one else is ready to do it. But by and large, he's just a guy who doesn't fight outside of the cage. And maybe that's all that. Yeah, I mean, you just sound like you laid out the the premise for the show Bully Beatdown of MTV fame back in the day right there. You know, RIP to that. Your favorite show. That was a great show. Mayhem Miller all the way. (laughs) Uh, Back to 213, my initial feeling is what you laid out, right? Like Noon Shevchenko, a really good sleeper fight, a fight that has the backstory, a fight I really want to see. Obviously, just not the the star-studded main event that it should be for international fight week. It seems WME, IMG, like you mentioned, more willing to throw the assets to 214. That card is in LA. It's going to get a lot of eyes with the Jones DC trash talking and backstory. That's what they decided will be their their showstopper. But the interesting thing about Amanda Nunez for what she lacks in marketability, she's almost Brett locked into three straight chances of being pushed like the UFC is trying to make her a star when she became the accidental main eventer for UFC 200. She became the main eventer for 207 in the Ronda Rousey's comeback and, of course, showcased herself brilliantly in a 48-second knockout. Now she's on the Super Bowl week of this international fight card headliner. Is this an accidental push in a lot of ways, or can she use this to, to actually become a star, or is it just not there, Brett? It's, it's just not there. And I don't think that that makes that, you know, sometimes as, as, as analysts of this sport or whatever, you don't want to put a handicap on someone's star power. It just doesn't almost feel right to do that. Um, especially one who's as talented in the cage as Amanda is, but it's also, it's just, it's just truth, right? It's just reality. It's, it's that you've probably interviewed Amanda. I've interviewed her. I've seen her at a press conference. She, she doesn't really even, even like that, that, that spotlight you know i don't think that she she certainly doesn't thrive under it and i don't think she really relishes it either and that's why you know last year when everyone was talking about that she was under promoted when she fought ronda you know i i really thought that 
what what do you what are you looking for? What what are you missing from Amanda? I mean, do you want to see more? Do you want to see her sit up there with with at her by herself since Rhonda was refusing to to attend any media functions? You know, I saw some people say, well, Amanda should should have gotten her own press conference. I tend to think that if Amanda had gotten her own press conference, it would have hurt her more than helped yeah. her because she just doesn't have anything to say. And I think people would would be like, this this is really boring, you know. And so so you you she's one of those fighters. You you let her promote herself by her fighting style and her ability to win fights in the cage and to dominate women as she does. You know, she's a first round finisher. So that's really the best way you can promote her is to just keep her keep her in the you know active, give her these fights in these in these big time moments. You know, like like with a lot of eyeballs and just hope that that. She's so exciting with the way she fights that that translates over to, to, to selling power. But I don't, I don't necessarily know if it will, man. I just don't, I just don't know. I mean, she would have to be so incredibly dominant to make up for her lack of ability to really speak, um, and, and, and sell fights that way that I just, I don't see it happening. And it's weird. And if it does I wouldn't happen, have... it would take a really, really, really long time. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. And I would have said, you know, she isn't that dominant for, she's a strong fighter, but not, but then again, She's got the highlight knockout of just beating down Tate and sort of breaking down her nose, right? Then she's got the highlight takedown of Rousey. So if she packages a highlight takedown of Shevchenko somehow, then maybe there's unseen momentum there. And then if your long play is to, is to do title for title with Cyborg, and I'm just doing pro wrestling matchmaking. I know in reality Nunez doesn't want to face Cyborg. There's a lot of, lot of basically bad things going on in terms of that idea. But maybe that's how you get her over the, the star hump down the line. But... I don't even want to get into the featherweight division because you know what I think about that, Brett. The women's featherweight division debacle that is the UFC and sort of the uh, hypocrisy of we're going to strip a, an awful titleist, the most underassuming titleist in Jermaine Durand to be in history to begin with, a fight that never should have been made against Holly Holm coming off of two losses. But now we're just going to strip her because she's not fit. She doesn't want to do up to her duties and defend the title against the next person in line. Even though Conor McGregor's never defended a UFC title. Now, you know, side topic right there, bro. I mean, come on. Could you be less excited about the featherweight division after hearing that rant from me? Or are you just so tied in on Cyborg Avenger that you're like, come on, Cam, stop it, bro. Stop it. Well, I will say stop it just in the sense of, I mean, who cares? Like, honestly, like the where, where I'm at with the 145-pound female division is I'm, I'm just like, yeah, okay, that happened. But I don't care. Yes. I don't care that that happened, and, and and it might as well have not happened. That that was a 135 pound fight that happened to be fought at 145 pound catchweight. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that that was that was not a real title fight. And you could even make the argument that like this is barely a title fight because Tanya Evinger is a 135 pound female. But this this division was always about one person, and at least now that one person is in the fight. You know? Yeah, I mean that's so that's not, the I'm end. I'm not going to get too upset about it, right. Because at least we're where we're supposed to be. It just took a weird, weird route to get here. The end game is it will work out if Cyborg's wearing that belt. But overall, UFC. I'm not impressed by your performance. Not at all. Okay, not at all. Mm-hmm. But Brett, back to Noob Shevchenko to wrap this up. This main event preview. UFC 196, March 2016, three-round fight on that pay-per-view main card. It's Nune, Amanda Nunez who who wins a, a tough decision, but of course that third round, you saw Valentina really push her, really look like if that had been a five-round fight. You know, this is the narrative for this rematch, that if that had been a five-round fight, maybe we see a different result. Shevchenko has only impressed since then in outpointing Holly Holm by proving she can counter the counterpuncher and give her a really tough stylistic match, and then sort of that, that, that blowout victory that followed that followed against Juliana Pena. Brett, do you have that feeling that this rematch is five? So in a sleeper way, Shevchenko's almost a, a little bit of a favorite coming back here that you can almost give her reasons to, that, that like that loss almost didn't happen. 
It's not even uh, it's not even a sleeper favorite. She is the betting favorite now in Vegas. At least at least last I saw, the betting line is that she had opened up as an underdog, but now she's a favorite, and which I I agree with. I probably will be picking her to win this fight, and I think it's she's she's hard to finish, you know. And Amanda Nunes is someone who goes out guns blazing early on, but then she does tire, you know. And she can try to 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 pace herself a little bit better, and you can always you know do your best to get in in better shape. But Shevchenko is just one of those one of those fighters who just feels like she just naturally can go forever. You know, you just see some of those guys out there and she's definitely one of them where she, her cardio is just such an asset. I don't think Nunes can ever match it. And so then you're asking yourself, well, how likely is it that Amanda knocks her out early on in the fight? And I don't think it's all that likely, you know, I, I mean, as, as ferocious as she is early on in a fight, Shevchenko's durable, you know, and she's, she's a seasoned striker. She knows how to avoid the big shot. Um, and she's aware that Amanda is, is, is a, a, a someone who comes out, you know, real fat, real hard, and then fades over time. So she's going to have a game plan to go along with that. I do think Valentina Shevchenko is essentially the favorite in this fight. And that's what's crazy, man, is that, you know, coming off of those two performances that Amanda Nunes had, if this were boxing, you know, she wouldn't be fighting Valentina Shevchenko. She wouldn't be fighting someone who doesn't have a big name but is a really, really difficult test for her that's going to make, it's going to be very difficult even if she does win to look good against her. She'd probably be facing someone to keep the momentum going. You know, and that's that's why it's hard sometimes to create a star in the UFC is even if you do have someone who, um, you know, you're like, well, she doesn't talk great on the mic. But if she keeps on finishing these females in the fashion in which she is, then maybe we can create a superstar out of her. But then you give her Valentina Shevchenko and that's not likely, man. That's probably not going to happen. No, no doubt. I mean, Shevchenko is tough as nails. You mentioned you can't finish her. I mean, she's just like she's a machine in there. And like like uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine of old school WWF days, it takes her 15 minutes to get warmed up. Right. Like so. <laughs> so. Did we see something in the first two rounds that, like, you know, what did Nunez do in our eyes that, that gave her those first two rounds that she can build and capitalize on? Is it just once Valentina studies it, you know, deals with Nunez's cardio going down a bit that she's going to have the advantage? Can Valentina avoid the slow start this time around? Well, I just think, you know, I think size is part of it as well. And Nunez is just naturally the, the bigger, the bigger fighter. And, uh, you know, she was able to utilize some, some ground game in their first fight. Um, you know, and Shevchenko is giving up that size advantage. She's got great um, takedown defense, and I just think that she's a smart fighter. Her, her fighter IQ is good, but if you got the bigger person on top of you, you know, that's what she found out in the first fight, that it's not always easy to get back up to, the, to your feet, especially when, you know, your background is in Muay Thai. It's not in jiu-jitsu. So uh, I'm not saying that there are not paths for Amanda to win. Of course there are. You know, I mean, she won the first fight, but five – the fact that this is a five round fight, that's what makes, makes me think, cause it's close. It's close either way, you know? So if it's a three rounder, slight edge to Amanda, but in a five rounder, slight edge to Valentina. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, quickly here, this co-main, of course, is the interim middleweight championship, Yoel Romero against Robert Whitaker. We could go, you know, 10 minutes on, on the debacle that was the handling of getting to this point and Michael Bisping, you know, being allowed to sort of sit on the bench and wait for GSP, being allowed to even fight Dan Henderson in the first place. It's just when you add up these sort of transgressions in matchmaking and allowing people to do things, then suddenly the middleweight belt feels like it doesn't have as much value. Now we have a interim title being floated out there for not a lot of reason outside of filling out a marquee and making it a more important fight. With all that crap said, Brett, and it's sort of crap, you really like this fight, though. You really like Yoel Romero against Robert Whitaker, and Whitaker just made a gigantic leap up these rankings when before he took out Jacare Souza, I think it was in March in Kansas City, if I'm correct, or April, 
before he took him out, he was considerably lower on the on in, the, in what was a crowded house of people at middleweight who who we thought deserved title shots. Man, he even leaped past our guy, my guy, Luke Rockhold, to get to this point. Now you're like, he might actually be able to even win this. So this is a one heck of a fight. How much are you popping at the potential of this one? Yeah, I I mean, this is the fight that should that needed to happen in the middleweight division. The unfortunate part is that it, it had to include an interim title fight for UL Romero to agree to it, you know, and I. I I understand why he felt that way, but that's sort of what has kind of put off everything. It's prolonged things is that these fighters, you know, we talked about some of them, you know, complaining more and being willing to, to make stands against the UFC and so on and so forth. And, you know, as a fan, you, you like that because hopefully you want to see the best for the athletes, but at the same time, you just want to see some fights, right? And so that's, that has held up some big fights in this year is that, you know, will there be an interim title attached to it or, you know, will there, negotiations going on behind the scenes are they going to get paid more now because of, of where the fight is and what the stakes are at and if the champion is sitting side you know not not defending his belt there's all these different circumstances now that the fighters are not just willing to put up with and so we see you know these situations in which we're like are we going to get this fight or not luckily this one is happening like you i don't put a whole lot of stake into the interim title i mean that division is just so messy it's almost like i don't care who has the belt anymore i just want to see the right matchups and this is definitely one of them and it's very cool that we get to see it for five rounds um you know, Yoel Romero is kind of similar almost to me that, as Jacare was in that this guy is absolute, absolute world class. Same with Jacare. Two guys who are are just phenomenal, you know, at the absolute top of the game. And yet they are in their late 30s. You know, they're, they're not guys who are 29 doing this, you know, or, or even, you know, 31, 32. These are, these are guys who have been doing this for a long time. And you almost just – that's what was frustrating when you were seeing some of these matchups not come together is like, come on, man. None of these guys aren't getting any younger. You know, and I'm not suggesting that, 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 uh, you know, Jacare is, is, um, is over the hill now, you know, and I'm certainly not suggesting that of Romero either, but I'm saying it does, there does come a time, you know, and, and when Jacare fought and lost to Robert Whitaker, I did kind of wonder just slightly to myself, like, did age have anything to do with that? Because Whitaker is a killer right now, you know, I mean, and he is in the prime yeah. of his career right now. So that's what's really interesting about this fight to me is that Romero has, has, you know, every time you win a fight, but you're not getting a title shot, the stakes go up a little bit more. The pressure goes up a little bit more because you've got that big win streak. And then it's like, all right, now, how many more do I need to win to get that title shot? I just need one more, just one more. This is this is the big fight. This is the fight of Yoel Romero's mixed martial arts life. This is the biggest one, you know, and he's going up against a guy who's a lot younger than him, who's who's really peaking, has a lot of momentum. And uh yeah, it's it's super, super, super interesting. And by the way, if if. I, I guess I would want to see Romero versus Bisping if I had my choice, but I mean Whitaker versus Bisping, not a bad fight either. Oh, I know, and then suddenly you really have a star on your hands that you can put a lot of momentum into. A you know, good-looking guy with a great style. Both Romero and Whitaker explosive. This could potentially end early, but the five-round mention that that you said, Brett, is interesting because you know it was good deep. It was deep water to begin with when Whitaker went in there against Jacare, and he, and he finished him. You know, in the in the early part of the, earlier half of the fight. If this goes five, you're like, wow, that's real deep water for him, but. It's also deep water for Romero, who I don't know if has five round stamina and how explosive he fights. So this fight could look mm -hmm. considerably different in four and five. You know, you could really have some some interesting uh, the way this plays out. But Brett, the only other card uh, fight on this card to really mention, even in passing here, is is the another rehash of aging heavyweights in Fabricio Werdum and Alistair Overeem. I don't care a lot. I don't expect you to care a lot. But considering how uh, what's the right word thin this division is. 
that we're trying to push Ngannou into a heavyweight title shot, that we wanted Derek Lewis before his recent loss. We figured, wow, he's one win away. Is Fabricio Verdum one win away from a title rematch with Stipe Miocic? Yeah, yeah, just because there's no one else there. And, you know, you can make the argument that the first fight never really got going, you know, that, that Verdum strangely decided to just sprint at him as fast as he could and, and got, you know, knocked out in the first first round. Uh, you you can build a, a case off that, you know, that Verdum messed that up. Now he gets a chance to to redo it. Um, you know, Overeem is, per, is kind of right there too, but he just lost to Stipe in uh, September of last year. So the heavyweight division is just, uh, the, light, the light heavyweight division as well. I mean, the light heavyweight division is probably even worse than the heavyweight division is somehow. These are just, these are just divisions that need new blood. And, uh, I'm not seeing it. I'm not really seeing a whole lot of new blood in either one of them. So until then, I mean, we're going to, we're going to see Stipe in a few rematches. I, ha- I have to imagine. Yeah. There's, there's no depth in these divisions on the way out here, Brad. And I, and I thank you again for your time, for your analysis, for your friendship here in this MMA reunion of sorts. We play a game <laughs> on the boxing podcast called what's it look like where we throw out a matchup. We really wanted to see sometimes a historical matchup of people from different eras. The whole question here is you're having a beer with a friend. You're sitting by the outdoor fire. You're going, Oh yeah, this fight. What does it look like? Not maybe necessarily who wins, but what does this fight look like? I wanted to pepper you with a couple in a speed round here, Brett. We think we okay. may see GSP come back for the welterweight title if Tyron Woodley gets back. Steamy and Maya. GSP Woodley for the 170 title. What does that look like to you? Man, I think, I think GSP wins. I think he keeps him. I think he neutralizes the power with the jab. Uh, I, you know, the speed is, is always on Tyron Woodley's side, but I just think we talk about, um, you know, what skill set do these different guys have? GSP's greatest skill set was that he was able to mesh everything perfectly seamlessly together at all times, you know, and that, that's what really gave him such an advantage over guys who may have been better in one particular area or the other, but GSP was always just so good at masking everything he did and, and turning the fight into the fight that he wanted. Um, I mean, it sounds, it sounds crazy that I would, I would pick him over, you know, just a monster knockout guy like, like Woodley after he hasn't fought in four years. But I don't know. I guess I still have that confidence in GSP that he would, that he can mix things up and stay one half step ahead of, of Woodley enough so that the speed doesn't come into play and then he would win the fight. That's very interesting. Of course, we'd have to, it'd have to be this, the same GSP of old to, to, to be able to do that. It's just, man, Tyrone Woodley is quick with that right hand, Brett. You know, it makes it just be, it'd be, it'd be hairy in the early going. It would be great to see. Brett, a second one real quick. McGregor's going to come back in the cage. Dana wants him in at the end of this year. Recent headlines in the past week is Dana says, and there's a lot of Dana says, right? But Dana says that Connor says that he wants Habib <laughs> Nurmagomedov. He wants him in Russia. He's obviously a smart businessman. He wants to put on a giant event there. That It would presumably have to come after a redo of that interim fight between Tony Ferguson and Habib. GSP Habib. Outside of people wearing tall furry hats in the crowd and people going nuts, what does that look like? Because I feel like, I mean, Habib's going to come to eat his soul, but he also might walk into a left hand. I mean, this is this is this getting. I'm, I just flipped over in my chair. I'm fired up for this. What does that look like to you? Uh, it looks like one or the other. It either looks like Habib taking him down and eating his soul, or it looks like Habib can't really close the distance. He's trying, but Connor's, you know, real shifty. He's he's sprawling. He's he's backing up, and then. I mean, we saw in the, in the Michael Johnson fight, man. I mean, everybody remembers that that fight. The only 
when you look back on it, everyone remembers Habib holding Michael Johnson down and talking to Dana White saying, I want my title shot. This guy needs to quit, you know, and, and basically just toying with him. But, you you know, also in that fight is Habib got rocked by a left hand from Michael Johnson. I mean, he was he was staggering around on his feet. And that was very early on in the fight. And then, of course, he he what he did the rest of the fight made us forget about it. But uh that that would be that would be one of those Chael Sonnen Anderson Silva type fights where once once Habib got him down, then you're like okay, you know, like like let's just let's just wait until it gets exciting again to you stand up in the next round, you know, like the beginnings of each round, however long they went, would be the most exciting part because that's when Connor would have a chance because once Habib does close into him and gets gets him on the ground. I mean, I, I just don't see how Connor could match him there. And, and, and the buildup, by the way, of Connor just unloading on both Habib, his Russian culture in terms of trash talking, and then Habib coming back with that, that small, quiet voice where he's basically saying, I will pull your organs out with my hand, dip them in a delicious red sauce and just eat them right in front of you. That would be <laughs> absolutely incredible. Brett, last one, I had to go back into the big top tent for the carnival, the tent pole, the Bellator, the slop Super Bowl that it is. Chael and Brett, you were there with me. He wants to fight everybody from Rory to heavyweights. He just wants to make money and be in the main event and do fun things. He also wants Fedor. Scott Coker tries to say he doesn't want that. But Fedor's so washed, they're going to roll him out again. You might be against uh-huh. Chael. Chael, Fedor, Slop, Super Bowl, B-cams popping off huge <laughs> bread. Popping off huge. I mean, honk every... I don't even have enough sound <laughs> effects for this. Popping off... Uh, uh, old light heavyweight wrestler against a washed heavyweight ground and pounder. What does this look like? Uh, it's, it's over in the first round and Fedor knocks him out. I wow. mean, Vanderlei, Sil- Vanderlei Silva was able to drop him twice in the first two rounds. I, Chael ain't getting Fedor down, man. I'm sorry. It's just not happening. I, he's, he could get Vanderlei down because Vanderlei's, you know, wasn't that much bigger than him. Vanderlei's fought as low as middleweight. So they were similar size. He's going to run into an absolute brick wall when it comes to Fedor. He's not going to be able to just grab his leg and dump him on his butt and keep him there. That is not happening. Even if he's able to get him down, Fedor's just going to stand up because size really does matter when you're talking about that kind of a matchup. So, you know, Fedor will be on his feet and he'll throw the hands and he just dropped Matt Mitrione not too long ago. So I guarantee you he can drop and finish Chelsea and that thing's over. Before the end of the first round, Fedor by TKO. Wow, you just put, you just put, you blew out the candle. You took away all the fire I had for this by being realistic about it, but man, that <laughs> buildup. That's what I'm good for for you. You know, I keep, I keep you balanced a little bit. But that trash talk buildup of one guy just throwing darts at a brick wall and a stone face in Fedor and getting nothing back in return, like, that would be interesting to watch. But you know, I popped for that. I'm easy. Brett Okamoto of ESPN of the Five Rounds podcast and a new co-host on there, my man Arda O'Cal. I've been, I've been digging it. I, lo- I love where the podcast is going. Miss our days together, Brett, but it was great to reunite today to set that stage for UFC 213 in your city of Las Vegas, my man. Thanks so much for joining me. Of course, man. It was fun. Anytime. I'll bet you can find me at B. Campbell CBS. You can find Brett. Brett, where can they find you? ESPN.com and on Twitter at Okamoto ESPN. You'll be there cage side on Saturday. Enjoy the fights. Enjoy the holiday week that was, Brett. I usually give the fans, you know, two words on the way out. I'm, I'm going to throw it at them right now because for as much as we brought it this week and we did, for now, we out. <laughs>